everyone. I'm Denise Garth, Chief Strategy Officer at Majesco, and you're listening to the Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast series. Follow along as I interview the best and brightest leaders in the insurance industry and insure tech landscape to bring you the latest in digital transformation, innovation, industry trends, challenges, and opportunities, as well as next-gen technologies. We use our experience to anticipate what's next without losing sight of what's now. Stay tuned to find out your next now. Welcome, everybody, to today's Future of Insurance podcast. And I am absolutely thrilled to have Bob Pick with me, the EVP and CIO for Tokyo Marine North America. I know everybody tends to know Bob. He has a lot of perspectives and insight like I do. So I think you're going to be in for a real treat between the conversation we have. So welcome, Bob. Oh, thanks, Denise. Appreciate being here. And for sure, we we both have a lot of opinions and some people enjoy them. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Practically everybody knows you or should know you, Bob. I think that we still have a lot of new people in the industry. So could you just give a little bit about your background and your role at Tokyo Marine and then a little bit about our partnership? Absolutely. And this is a moment where to kind of help folks who are coming into the industry feel comfortable. I joined Token Marine 10 years ago. I'm about to start my 11th year coming in from major media and a history doing telecommunications and other things. So you can learn insurance. I was speaking with someone earlier this week and we were both sharing that it's one of the most welcoming industries in terms of people being willing to answer your questions and being patient with you during that process. And I mean that very sincerely. Insurance is full of smart people, but people that are willing to teach you the ropes. It's really been a great transformation. My educational background is all wrong for anything I've ever done for a living. I'm a social science person, history, poli-sci, historic preservation, history of urban design, a lot of architectural history, but caught the tech bug when the web was invented. And uh, with a, a lot of gumption and the help of a number of people around me, made myself into a programmer, then launched off into a career doing nothing but IT. So it's been a fun run, but my role at at Tokyo Marine is uh, caretaking three of our Tokyo Marine group companies, Philadelphia Insurance, Tokyo Marine America, First Insurance Company of Hawaii. We also provide support for a couple of other Tokyo Marine companies in various ways. That's my day job. My night job is group deputy CIO across the entire group where I, I help get people together, make sure that we're working in concert and leveraging the power of our group. Tokyo Marine now being 50,000 people in almost 50 countries with about 50 billion in annual revenue. We've grown dramatically over the last 20 years from originally being focused and having almost all of our revenue in Japan. And now well more than half of our gross and net revenue is coming from outside Japan. So it's been a, a heck of a transformation over the last 20 years. And of course, Majesco has been a great partner to us for all of almost all of those 20 years yeah. um, in a number of different areas, both on the software and SaaS side, but also on the services end to a number of our companies in both the US and UK. So it's always great to do things with Majesco. Funny that you say that about the industry, because I think that it really is a small community and everybody does know everybody. And there is a real desire to do good within this industry. And I think that is really an element of the culture of the industry that is so powerful. Absolutely, and we see that especially in our Asia businesses where insurance is viewed a little differently in some of those countries. And I'll I'll say Japan as an example, where insurance in the West, excuse me, is, is predominantly viewed as almost a necessary evil. You gotta have it, gotta do it. 
in Japan, it's a partnership. It's a partnership in your business. It's a partnership in your life. And so the perspectives around the globe are a little different as to how insurance is viewed. And I think that's something we as an industry, particularly in the US, UK and European markets can probably take a few notes and helping folks understand that our primary reason for being is to help people and their businesses in their greatest time of need. That's why we're here. And it's complicated. It's not always simple for, uh, for sure. And it's not always easy. But our goal is to help people and our goal is to help businesses whenever something happens, either to them or with them, that is challenging for them. And that, that's a pretty good industry to be a part of, quite frankly. You mentioned how much Tokyo Marine has changed in the last 20 years, moving outside of Japan across the world, and particularly in one of the largest markets here in North America. And we talked about how that kind of creates going into not just the geographic markets, but also the different types of segments within those specific markets. And we know here in North America and also in the UK and a number of the markets, there's a lot of different segments that are really focused on different types of products and customers. And that creates a really broad level of need and expectation. What do you look for in a partner uh, to help you execute your strategy? And it's not just the initial kind of selection of a partner, but the ongoing of the partner. What do you expect of them on an ongoing basis? Because with our pace of change, Bob, partners cannot stand still. Yeah, absolutely. And we do use that terminology of partner. Vendors are entities that we buy stuff from. Partners are teams that we're in business with. And that's something that's pretty universal in Tokyo Marine Group. Our desire is to enter into very long-term, broad and deep partnerships with our business partners. And that can be a software relationship. It could be services. Um, it could certainly be in all the different insurance capacities from TPAs and of course our agent and broker universe. But the idea is if we are stable together, then it becomes easier for us to weather the changes. And I say weather in terms of those changes that are challenging, but also to seize opportunities in new markets that are opening up, in new segments, new products. As we discussed, and actually you had a recent post on LinkedIn about the changing profile of risk yeah. and how those risk inflection points are changing where we have traditionally managed risk, for example, in the automotive chain. Well, with driverless cars and with fleet-owned vehicles so, and a reduction in car ownership overall, those points of risk inflection are changing. When there's an accident in a car that is uh, run by software, how do you handle that? Um, what are the subrogation differences? You're not going after the driver. Do you go after a programmer in Des Moines? I mean, how does that work? And these are challenges, but they're also very much opportunities. So we absolutely, in the segments that we're in, and just taking the U.S. market, we are predominantly commercial and specialty, largely focused on small and medium-sized business, as well as Japanese multinationals. But we also have, in Reliance Matrix, we have group life and annuity, and in Safety National, we have group workers comp, where we deal with giant companies. So it's it's kind of a, a mix, but a predominantly um, traditional PNC and commercial, and of course, um, pure insurance, the high net worth personal lines. But so when we think about that, we look for partners who are ideally not locked into one segment or one line of business, who can be ambidextrous, particularly across personal, commercial, and, and specialty PNC. Um, but we also look for a degree of creativity because we are a, a federation of companies. We even call it that internally. And each of us approaches markets a little bit differently. That's the specialness. That's why each token marine group company um, uh, stands on its own successfully. And then we come together, hopefully, to create something greater than the sum of the parts. But so having partners that can bring not just technical wherewithal, 
but also insurance knowledge. And by which I don't mean everybody has to be an insurance expert. I certainly am not an insurance expert. I'm not a CPCU, any of that kind of stuff, but can bring expertise in an area. They know something we don't, or they can see around a corner that we can't. And that takes time. And that's one of the things that, like with our friends in Majesco, um, spending time together over months and many years, just getting to know the nuances of our business, us getting to know the nuances of, of services and the experts that Majesco has is extremely helpful in being able to see through all these particular bits of, of dirt and noise in the, in the market as it's continually evolving. When you and I were talking about this podcast, one of the things we talked about was a concept that I hadn't heard before, and I really love it, is about fat core versus thin core and middle core. And you talked about what each of those mean, but how the value of middle core is really where you see the biggest and greatest business value and, and agility for Tokyo Marine. So talk about those concepts and how do you see Majesco fitting into that model? Absolutely. And I have to credit our friends at Travelers with coining, at least to my, my knowledge, coining the term thin core. So fat core is sort of the traditional, I'll say monolithic, and it can be legacy monolith or modern monolith, where you have a core system or a core suite that tries to do everything. In the policy context, it's everything from data ingestion to rating to all the different aspects of uh, submission ingestion, all the way through issuance and binding. Um, thin core which is, I would say, is definitely more prevalent in a number of insure techs so that have emerged and are emerging, is that they will include the basics, but they assume going in that you're probably going to have your favorite rate or you're probably going to have your favorite forms package. Maybe you're running multiple policy systems or even multiple claims or billing systems. And they assume that they're existing in an ecosystem that is heterogeneous. That middle core is one that has more than the basics, but isn't necessarily attempting to create every feature necessary in the market. The cool thing is you can take a, a thin core product and essentially make it middle core by how you configure it and how you implement it. And for us, we have great partnerships with a lot of software and service providers, all the usuals, um, to drive our core suites the world over. All of them have their challenges. All of them also have great features. But the reality is that the days of giant core system replacement projects and full suite deals are well more behind us than in front of us. And the turn, and I don't think it's unique to the insurance industry, but in general, we think more about assembling than yeah. we do giant packages or certainly custom coding. So we want to be able to assemble with a, a nice tree trunk in there, call that the, the spine of the, of the core systems or core suite, but then put our own ornaments on based upon either partnerships that we already have that are working very effectively or where we have a uniqueness that is best served by something other than the features that are delivered in that core suite. This has been, I would say, an increasingly successful model for us. It also allows a degree of nimbleness that is simply difficult to achieve with the traditional giant fat core, whether again, whether legacy or modern. So we know that over time, over the arc of 10 or 15 years, which might be one policy admin system, there might be up and coming different solutions for, for rating or forms or rules or a portal. And being locked in for 15 years because it's integral to that system is a very difficult proposition. Whereas if we've externalized certain of those capabilities, we can swap things out as the market change or as uh, technology improves. This seems to make a lot of sense for our companies in a lot of different areas around the globe. And we see that as a going in proposition. I think, uh, you know, in terms of Majesco, one of the things that we've been struck with in the last couple of years is how the products have 
developed capabilities for ease of innovation and simplicity yep. of integration, but also ease of movement of data between systems, which frankly fits very nicely into that mid-core space. Now they can certainly, we can adopt everything and be more to fat core or minimize more to thin core. But I think the approach that's taken gives the, the flexibility to the client in this case, which is much more helpful. Because as I actually said just earlier this week in a different context, in the old days, system providers would basically insist on us coming to their ecosystem. But the reality is, System providers come into a carrier's ecosystem. We need the system provider to work in our ecosystem. Everybody thinks they're a sun when in fact they might be a planet or even a moon. <laughs> and so systems and integration strategies that recognize that are just extremely helpful to, to carriers and MTAs. One of the really critical components that we talked about was really that technical and business architecture of those solutions to be able to take it either from thin into mid-core and really leverage that whole mid-core thing. And so I think those technologies really require some of that cloud native, that open API, so you can put all those ornaments on your tree. And to some extent, you know, some of that headless and, and some of the analytic stuff, that's a shift I think for even modern core systems is to kind of rethink how we can really kind of collaborate and partner with a lot of different types of uh, solutions out there because we can't be all things to all people. That's absolutely true. And I think that's where the, the strength of having a partner that understands insurance is super helpful. We've spent a lot of time and we continue to spend time in building our business architecture, understanding and capabilities internal to our companies. Matter of fact, this is one of our key growth areas is to be able to improve our ability to articulate what it is, our vision is, what it is we need and even look at the maturity of different business capabilities across all given carrier company and help the business folks design a, a vision for their future, which says we want to improve in these claims capabilities or these customer service capabilities, rather than just the system is here, take it. Even though it may not differentiate your business, may not help you out. But being able to have then our business architects work with partner business architects, we're then more effectively translating on both ends. That's been a, I won't say a game changer, it's, it's been an evolution for us. And, and we certainly are not at the leading edge of, of all this. But as we've strengthened our business architecture capabilities and understanding, go figure, things have gotten a little easier for our partners and being able to receive information that's already put in common terms. And those common terms are typically insurance terms, not system terms. And that's been super helpful to moving things forward and making sure that as we're making decisions about thin core, mid core uh, components versus native functionality, the different partner feature partnerships we may adopt, that they're driving things forward and differentiating in the right areas, not in areas that really don't matter much, or I guess to the negative, cost way more money and time than they're even than the value that they're delivering. We want to avoid that at all costs, as do our service partners. We can't uh, get by this podcast without talking about one of the, the hottest topics in the market right now and on top of mind of a lot of insurers, and that is AI and particularly Gen AI. I'll get to this a second part of that around data, but let's talk about AI and Gen AI in particular. What do you see as the potential for Gen AI? I think, you know, when we were at ITC together, Bob, everybody tried to say that they were Gen AI, Gen AI, or AI because it was the hot topic, but there weren't a lot of people actually doing some real substantive types of things. And there's a difference between what Gen AI can do versus what we have been and will continue to do with AI. So talk about how you're really focused in on that and where you see the potential. 
I appreciate that question. You're absolutely right. We saw so many folks at InsureTech Connect that last year were a .com and now they're a .ai, but fundamentally nothing had changed. Now, in fairness, there are a lot of smart gals and guys who are working on things. And I think it, that was a still in the transitional phase for figuring out how to incorporate this new tech. But I, look, I agree. Classic AI, been around forever. And folks, I think, are now understanding the depth and degree that classic AI has been incorporated into all of our systems and whether they be custom or off the shelf. And I think that's very healthy. It's healthy, not only from an awareness perspective, but also risk management. It's also healthy that our regulators understand that AI, generative AI caught their attention, but actually AI is, is all around and it is effective. And it is, I think, generally speaking, it's well-managed, but the uniqueness or the additive capabilities of generative, that generation capability adds or changes the risk profile in different ways. It's not that there are necessarily too many totally new risks. It's just the profile of the risk is very different because you're creating something that didn't exist previously. I think from my perspective, we definitely excited about it. And a lot of our group companies are doing all the experimentation that, that you would expect. And I think we're very at the curve with that. We're excited about the time-saving capabilities and being able to summarize and write drafts and those sort of things. We're definitely excited about the analytical and we'll call them um, enhanced search capabilities because generative AI never forgets. Uh, so you're able to rely on it to understand all 50 states or all different markets. And you don't have to have that in your brain. The flip side is definitely recognize that in our particular business uniquely, where we have to be able to show our work and we have to be the data that we become aware of, we just can't ignore things like hallucination, drift, bias and toxicity have an amplified risk effect for us if we're not careful, not to mention that you have a whole uh, scads of evildoers trying to poison LLMs and do all sorts of things. So it's not just happenstantial. Your data took you in a direction you didn't expect. You might have an evildoer that's trying to torque that data to get you go somewhere else. But I think it, to sum it up, I would say, as I look over the next few years, I would expect that the, the lion's share of the generative AI capabilities that we're consuming will come from platform partners. It won't be custom to us necessarily. It might be bespoke for the industry or particular line of business, but these are things that will rely on partners to work into our existing platforms. But then there's that 10 or 20% where it is going to be very interesting. Some of the things we're already doing where it is highly bespoke to us. And we're beginning to explore how that might provide a new differentiator for us, or at the least provide a way to get more efficient or certainly more speed internally with some of the techniques and capabilities. Well, we were pretty excited when you guys upgraded to the intelligent billing for PNC and also the loss control that leverages the Gen AI that we're building into those. But more importantly, it also gives you access to all of your operational data, which is the next piece I want to kind of talk about is we talk about data and throughout my entire career, and particularly when I was at Accord, I said, you know, data is really the lifeblood of this industry, but we've never really had managed it well, and we didn't always have access to all of it. I think having access to all of your operational data, but you've also got to have access to other data outside of that, whether it's through data aggregators or other types of devices. Talk about this whole concept of data and intelligence and making sure that you've got all of that and throwing it into a, a lake house and being able to look at your own type of operational reports, but also to be able to do something more maybe with an AI that you can really aggregate the data and look at the data uniquely the way you guys want to. 
Absolutely. I think one of the problems with data is there's so much of it. <laughs> and, yeah. it is so, it is so variably managed. I, I do think in this exact context, but, but referencing generative AI, one of the things that generative AI is, has put a fresh spotlight on is data engineering, mm -hmm. getting that data correctly prepped and positioned to be useful in the context that you, in which you intend to use it. And so I think that plays forward into all sorts of operational data and different paradigms, whether it's a, a data warehouse, whether you're, you're throwing it on, on one of the data virtualization engines, whatever it is. But I think the key is the, now having enhanced tooling available or, or coming in the form of generative AI, it's being able to much more easily make sense of it. Being able to ask a spreadsheet a question, it really, as a very simple example, it really facilitates exploration for those who may otherwise have been intimidated or not had the right training or perspective to go in and use the previously much more technical tools to do self-discovery in data. So it does simplify it, by which I don't mean it becomes child's play. It lowers the bar, creates a gateway where we talk a lot about citizen development. This is citizen data exploration, where it doesn't take an IT team or a data engineering team to let people begin to explore data. I think that's huge. Now, that said, again, we're insurance, we're regulated. Yeah. We have to be able to show our work. We, have, we can't just say the AI told us or the answer I got in English from the spreadsheet was this. So we have to be careful, but that goes now to the excitement around generative AI, creating interest in people in learning more and getting trained in techniques versus just us having to rely and hope they're doing the right thing. But the operational data that all of us have, I think all of us view as part of the differentiator that we have. It differentiates us in perhaps different ways depending upon segment or the focus of the business, but it has been impenetrably difficult to get the depth of insight there short of giant IT projects and a lot of platforms. So I think this really does release the potential for greater insight more easily obtained, but also as you alluded to the breadth of insight, the merging or the aggregation of internal data with external data and third-party data. We all know in insurance, there are data clearing houses, there are partners and brokers of data. And there's goodness in that because they can normalize the feeds. The downside is, you know, it's kind of like the value added tax. It just goes up in expense and complexity and all that. But as the universe, and I'm thinking auto manufacturing, yeah. they have come to know that their data has value and they're able to aggregate and present their own data to us. Those are some great opportunities for us to figure out how to broker our own third party data, make sure that it's correctly, you know, cleaned up, normalized, et cetera, for our own purposes. The challenge is, can a carrier really do business with all data sources and that sort of stuff? So that's when we look to partners who already have data marketplaces and data structures and rules capabilities to allow us to do that. So we're not, again, we're not having to create our own fat core data environment. We can work with a partner to give us those seeds and then we build what actually is useful and differentiates to us. I'm speaking kind of architectural platitudes, yeah. but it's a big, big thing bunch of different ways to go, but it has never, in my opinion, been easier to integrate systems, to integrate data, to transform data and access data than it is now. And it will be easier two years from now, four years from now on down the line. I really like that concept of the citizen developer with the citizen data interpreter and analyst, because when I think about over the next probably four to five years with you know 40 to 50% projected uh, retirement out of our industry, we're going to need this stuff to be able to help people really kind of quickly get up to speed and, and grasp many of the, the data elements and the data insights that, that are being generated there. So 
I think it's absolutely fundamentally important given that shift that's going to happen, Bob. Absolutely. And I think one of the key areas that it has had a lot of talk and certainly some new products or emerging products come out is surrounding uh, creating a, in the underwriting space, for example, an underwriting co-pilot where yeah. you can take the accumulated knowledge of very senior underwriters and not do it for a junior underwriter, but actually counsel them through their risk assessment whenever they're examining a risk using model policies have been done, guidelines, et cetera, help them through that to accelerate their learning in a way that is much more difficult. It would literally have to be scripted previously. Now it can be much more dynamic and even change on the basis of in ISO or changes in particular yeah. market conditions um, to kind of help proxy them along to accelerate their learning. It still is just hard work to become a good underwriter or to become a good claims adjuster. So we all understand that. But if you can accelerate that process in meaningful ways, it reduces the risk of some of the, the great retirement that we're definitely seeing in the, in the coming years. You have been very active in the insure tech area. You guys have done a lot, been involved in a lot of looking at a number of different startups and being engaged in the market overall. But in particular, one of the areas of focus you've been involved in is IoT with Mateo Carbon and the IoT Observatory. I just had Mateo on my webinar last month, and he's always fun to have on there because yes. he always loves to uh, debate everything. But you guys did a really interesting article last fall where you talked about IoT and how it's changed people's lives and businesses mm -hmm. and how the data provides an opportunity to manage risk proactively and getting into what I think has been where everybody wants to get to, particularly today with the cost of insurance for both people and businesses, get into personalized pricing and underwriting. So they pay for their own risk and they try to manage their own risk. Talk about what you're doing at Tokyo Marine and where you see the future across different lines of business with IoT, Bob. Yeah, and Mateo is a wonderful character. He's also a very generous co-author, I have to say. Our team that uh, you know put together our pieces work with him, and, and he's, he's really great to work with in that regard. Yeah. The IoT Observatory is also a wonderful contract where folks can come together and kind of exchange information ideas, both carriers, MGAs, but also technology providers to give us all a bit of an, a kind of an encapsulated area to just think about this stuff and, and see where the market may go. But Tokyo Marine in, in a couple of different areas with our carriers and, and many of our carrier companies are involved in this. But when I think of where we've had significant success, Philadelphia Insurance in its auto telematics, uh, commercial auto telematics, as well as commercial property telematics, We've been in commercial auto telematics, I want to say for more than a dozen years now, through a couple of different technology waves. But the idea with that is exactly what you think. It's so simple, but it's very, very meaningful, especially since we focus on small commercial fleet operators, not your giant trucking fleets, where it gives them information. It gives them information as to how to improve not just their fleet driving, but also routes that are taken, um, maintenance schedules, those sorts of things. It becomes a real value add. It helps them avoid risk for sure and us avoid risk, but it also becomes, again, sort of a partner to their business to help give them insights in a very easy to consume way that can help move their business forward, not just in managing risk. The property uh, telematics space, which is you know always characterized by um, uh, by leak detection and valves to turn off water. Well, this is uh, weather patterns have changed. What was previously something that was sort of, oh, that's nice to have. Well, now you don't know. It, it could be South Florida and you might get a hard freeze and then what happens? So yeah. it sort of catches a wave with, you know, the unfortunate nature of climate change that's occurring, catches a wave to help countervail some of the uncertainty 
that's now into the system where previously the patterns appeared to be a little bit more settled. But also very interestingly, with uh, Tokarina Cheeto Fire, and we have a company called eDesign Insurance um, in Japan, and that's where they're providing or using auto telematics to not just manage risk, but to actually help drivers become better drivers which again, the, the view of, of insurance in some Asian countries being a little different than the West. Similarly, the desire to be a good driver is considered a community good. Folks wanna do this. And they also, by the way, have partnerships where they deliver value adds outside of insurance. For example, coffee points and those types of things. Providing that information to drivers so that they can just flatly become better drivers, get better habits, has been very well received in certain of the markets, notably Japan. And the final one I'll mention are our friends at Pure Insurance, Personal Alliance High Net Worth. They have actually created a, basically a whole control center to help manage and monitor telematics are installed in people's homes, to make sure that they're getting alerts when things go on, to really provide that broader white glove service. And that's something that's been very well received. Also, particularly when you might have a homeowner that is not occupying that home 100% of the time, it gives them that comfort. So taking those three points in the group, and there are others related to wearables and things that Safety National is doing, for example, and ensuring and providing advice on how to lift better and, and maintain you know, health, musculoskeletal health while working. All these things uh, really come together for us and certainly for other carriers in, in cases as well to just provide more value and more benefit beyond the policy. This is not necessarily always about a lower premium or um, worried about um, claims. It's just providing something that makes a life better, makes a business safer. It also makes it fun in these topics because you know it's not just about that dollar saved either for the policyholder or for the carrier. It's about just making things a little bit better. And telematics and Mateo, of course, is very passionate about these things. Yes. <laughs> he tells uh, great stories about how these things coming together just make life a little easier, a little better, a little safer. And isn't that reason enough? And I think the answer is yes. Well, and I think it goes back to really the fundamental core and value about insurance and why insurance started. It was really to make our communities better, to help, uh, to do good. Mm -hmm. And it really is allowing us to kind of go back to that fundamental area that we started insurance many, many decades ago. Exactly. So one of the things that I think about, because we've been writing this insure tech wave over the last eight plus years, it's continuing to morph and change. And we got a lot of new technologies emerging. As you look forward, what excites you about the industry potential with technology now that we're kind of going into another whole new phase? Well, I mean, there are a lot of things out there. I particularly, just on a personal basis, I'm, I'm very interested in the degree of increasing sophistication that we're able to make use of satellite and aerial photography beyond the old days of using them for pictometry and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, there are a number of different providers out there that have hundreds of layers for tree overhang, power line overhang. And these things, again, as our weather patterns are changing, become more important to be able to quickly and of the moment interpret risk for a particular area, zip code, whatever it is. It may not be your standard contours, your standard you know, analytical lines, but to see something about to happen to an area and be able to dive into it using this tremendous volume of aerial drone and satellite photography out there. Even there are plays um, like ISI, uh, which Tokamarine has been involved in, can reposition satellites very quickly if there's a coming cat, and then quickly do comparisons. So not only can you assess the situation more quickly, but you can figure out how to safely get people there to help. 
I love those uh, solutions which give you more than one value. I do think the continuing to emerge solutions in and around the core system space, the add-ons to be able to finish digitizing, digitalizing capabilities are also key. And they don't necessarily get the top billing at things like InsureTech Connect, but the items that make portals better, the items that make data ingestion easier. I'm sure we would all love to see form yeah. scraping end as a practice, but I know some of our businesses still receive handwritten applications. So we just have to deal with this. But those little things, and we're big believers in a lot of small incremental changes end up to, or aggregate to be big needle movers. Again, it doesn't always have to be a giant project. And I see a lot of those in the, the finishing touches on digitization that are super helpful. And I would also throw out portal tech. Everybody's got a portal. Some of them are good. Most of them are, are challenging but figuring out how to assemble a stack that makes sense for your business, as well as for your front and back end systems is a critical thing. And as I said previously, I don't think it's ever been easier than it is now to put up good portal technology and create a good user experience or customer experience. So there are a lot of plays in ITC that quite frankly are not specifically insurance in every instance, though they have characteristics or, or features that they've developed for insurance, but they're really about normalizing the insurance experience with other great experiences. And one thing yeah. that we certainly see in the commercial side is that particularly small and medium-sized business owners import preferences and habits that they gain in their personal experience into business. So they expect their commercial insurance to be almost as simple as their personal insurance, even though the complexity on the back end and underwriting is wildly different perhaps. But we need to realize that that's just a fact of life and everybody uses you know, Amazon and, and things. So, so the visual metaphors that are out there People don't say, okay, well, I'm going to commercial insurance, so it's okay for it to be completely different and not navigable. No, they say, why isn't it like this other simple thing that I'm using for my, my kid's school or that I'm, I'm using for my personal life? So those types of plays that I think are, are creeping up in InsureTech Connect and, and with InsureTech generally, those are very helpful. They don't always answer exactly what we need. And that, of course, is one of the challenges of InsureTechs is they often only solve one thing. And when yeah. you have to pay the freight of integrating just to solve that one thing, it, it can be a little less exciting. But some of those one things put together really do move the needle. And that's why the, a dynamic InsureTech community continues to be really helpful and I would say necessary to fill in some of these gaps that the giant folks aren't doing, but also to spawn those new ideas to create those combinations of things that we never would have thought of previously. And why Metalcore becomes so important to be able to leverage all of those single-threaded ideas to be a bigger picture and a bigger whole. Exactly, yes. I always like to end the podcast, Bob, with the same question, and no, no pressure here, but we're fast approaching about 100 podcasts. I think I've had less than a handful of similar words used. But if you could use one word or phrase to describe the future of insurance, what would it be and why? Yeah, you know me well enough to know it's very difficult to come up with one word. <laughs> I have praise there. That's why I have praise. I, I would have to say, and I never would have thought this 10 years ago coming into insurance, particularly commercial insurance, the word that comes to my mind is dynamic. And it's because it. so many things are changing. And some of them are changing arguably for the worse, but so many of them are changing for either the better or the wider. The dynamicism that I see is certainly greater than five years ago and absolutely greater than 10 years ago. I don't see it letting up. And I see it as a, it's that universal mix of challenges and headaches 
but also some tremendous opportunities that, that are, are coming to the fore. Again, as, as you've discussed in other forums, that changing risk profiles, changing risk inflection points, I think is creates a lot of opportunity. And that's the dynamicism. It feels like it's a living, breathing beast now and the opportunities as well as the challenges that we have, both personal and commercial, for sure. I love that word. And I'm sure you can state the same thing. I don't think there's been a more exciting time in this industry than it is right now because there's so much opportunity to really kind of change everything to be even better and to address the many challenges that we've got out in the world from a risk standpoint. I completely agree, which also means there's pressure and there's yep. rising expectations. As I, I hear myself saying, it's never been easier to acquire data. It's never been easy this. Well, all that means is that the bar goes up. Well, sir, it's never been easier, you said. Therefore, we should be able to do more <laughs> and different. That's honestly, that's very reasonable because the ability to meet the challenges and the opportunities that are coming up, we've never had more tools. The, the insure tech community has never been bigger and broader. I recognize investment ebbs and flows. Yeah. There's a huge number of potential solutions out there. There are many great partners that have really come to the fore, bringing the technical expertise, but marrying that with deep insurance expertise. So it's kind of the world's our oyster to put that together to tackle these challenges. But I'm not going to lie, it's daunting and it's intimidating, but it is exciting. Bob, it's been fun having this conversation today, but more importantly, thanks for your leadership and all of the great ideas and things that you always bring to the table either through our partnership, but even more importantly, into the industry, because I think it's that uniqueness of our industry, the collaboration, pushing back, uh, debating of different ideas is what really helps us move forward. And I, I really appreciate all of that insight and that thought leadership and that, quite frankly, strong leadership to really bring all the best to the table. Thank you very much for that. And I have to call out that once I had joined uh, Tokyo Marine, you were one of the first external kind of name brand well-known folks to literally welcome me. And I appreciate that. I haven't forgotten that. I remember the conference room it happened in, but I really do appreciate that. And, uh, and I completely agree. This is a great time to be in insurance. It's also a very challenging time to be in insurance and both of those make it a lot of fun. Like I said, it's a small community. I had even forgotten that, Bob. <laughs> and now I remember which conference room I was in. Well, you meet a few people a day, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, over my career. Yep, that's right. Well, once again, thanks, Bob. I am sure you're going to have a lot of questions for you in all of the upcoming events, the spring and early summer season events. And I'm sure I'll see you at InsureTech Insights, one of the first ones. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast. Subscribe to our market-leading podcast series available wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in the next time.